And church family, would you take God's Word this morning and join me in John's Gospel, John chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse 27 this morning, John chapter 14, verse 27. Again, the second Sunday of Advent as we continue to move through this month of December, focusing our hearts and minds on all the realities that are true because Christ left behind the riches of glory, became poor so that we, through His poverty, might become rich. This morning from John 14.27, focusing our hearts and minds for these moments on this beautiful declaration of peace that Christ gives to His people. When you think about all of our Christmas celebrations, when we think about all of our uh, times where we stop to think about what the Bible says about the Christmas story, about the coming of Christ, and in all of our Christmas celebration, I I don't think that there are more uh, delightful or comforting words than what we find in that well-known text of Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. In all of our celebrations, it is hard to find words that bring more comfort to our souls than when the angelic host of Luke 2.14 says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom God is. Is pleased. There are just something about those words. No matter how many times you read or hear them, they settle into your soul. They settle upon your heart in a new and fresh and comforting way as you consider the magnitude of what the angels are declaring because of the enormity of what Christ has come to do. Glory to God in the highest and on earth and here where we dwell, where God's people are, there is peace. Those words from the angelic messengers, they warm us, they cheer us. And they comfort us. Those words, they speak right to the heart. It is a a laser beam, if you will, focusing with pinpoint accuracy into every human heart and into the fiber of every human soul throughout all of human history. When the angels declare that because a Savior who is Christ the Lord has been born, because they declare that, what we know is that peace has come. And when we read those words of Luke 2.14, it is as though all of humanity kind of takes this collective breath and exhales, finally, finally, peace has come. When you think about all of biblical history, when you think about the plight of God's people all throughout the Old Testament, when you consider that between Malachi and Matthew, there is 400 years of nothing, of silence. 
God's people toil along as we sang together earlier. And God is silent. But when God then, after 400 years, begins to speak, you get the sense that all of humanity just kind of, finally, finally, that for which we have longed for millennia, that for which we have believed and hoped in by faith has finally come. Peace is here. The great longing for every human heart throughout all of history and in this very room, this very moment, the great longing and need for every human heart is peace. You feel that. You, you, you sense the conflict all around you. You watch conflict unfold on the news. You have family dynamics that are difficult and not peaceful. And what we know is that on a relational level on this earth, one of the greatest needs that we have is peace. And I think that what brings us such comfort in Luke chapter 2, with that declaration of peace among men with whom God is pleased, what brings us such comfort is that those verses strike once again at the deep longing and need of our hearts, not just merely for there to be peace on a horizontal level between us and others, but it strikes at the deepest longing of our soul, which is to have peace between us and God. Church family, in the midst of all the lights, and in the midst of all the colors, and the parties, and the gifts, don't lose sight that at the very heart of Christmas, is the declaration that our relationship with God that our relationship with God is helplessly, hopelessly shattered because of our sin. But a baby in a manger has come to make peace by the blood of His cross. Don't lose sight of that central Gospel reality. That when Christ comes, it is a rescue mission. When Christ comes, it is to people who are at war with God because of their sin. And when He comes, He comes to make peace. And the peace that Jesus brings, it's a better peace. It's a better peace, as we'll see in the text this morning, than anything the world is going to be able to offer. It is more eternal and it is more effectual than any version of peace that the world is going to offer you this month or at any point throughout the next year. Look in John's Gospel, chapter 14. You're right in the middle of the upper room discourse at this point. It begins in chapter 13. We kind of parachute into the middle of this in John 14. Jesus is with His disciples in the upper room for the last time. It is hours before He is to die, and it is a troubling moment for the disciples. Don't lose sight of that reality 
that in John's Gospel, in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, that as Jesus is speaking into all of this, His disciples are deeply troubled. They are not at peace. Jesus has told them that He is going to die. This strange moment where He has washed their feet has taken place. At the beginning of chapter 14, He tells them, I'm about to leave you. In chapter 14, He'll do it again in chapter 16. I'm going to leave somebody in my place. And this is all a very confusing, perplexing moment. And so in the midst of that, verse 27 of chapter 14, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. In the midst of worry, concern, trouble, and fear, Jesus offers a salve for these troubled hearts that does not only pertain to the disciples in the upper room, but to the disciples in this room. A salve to every troubled soul. And that salve is His peace his peace and what we want to do in the text this morning as we study together is we want us i want us to see three ways in which jesus peace the peace that jesus gives three ways in which it is better and so number one at the beginning of verse 27 jesus peace is better. And by better, I'm contrasting it in a moment as Jesus will. I'm contrasting it to the peace of the world. Jesus' peace is better because He is the one who gives it. Because He is the author of it. And therefore, it is better. How does He begin verse 27? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And so right off the bat, I think we're having to ask and answer a really important question in the text. What is peace? What is peace? That word is flying all over the place in the month of December, right? It's in our songs that we sing. It's on the Christmas cards that we send. It dominates the vocabulary of the Christmas season. But what is it really? Maybe we have some idea of how the world might define peace. Maybe we have an idea of how our, our neighbor or our coworker defines peace. But what does the Bible say that peace is? All throughout Scripture, from Old Testament to New, that word peace is used. It is the blessing upon God's people. It is in the midst of prophetic utterance. It is the undergirding hope that God will not abandon peace with His people. It is the command of the New Testament, do not fear, have peace. But what does it mean? Is peace merely just the absence of strife? Is it merely just everybody kind of put their weapons down and they're not fighting anymore? Or is it more than that? 
As we look throughout Scripture, from Old Testament to New, the complete picture that gets painted for us is that peace is actually so much more than just the absence of conflict. Peace comes so often in Scripture. It comes, in fact, in the midst of the conflict. It's not merely that we see war and strife cease and then a command of peace comes. So often peace comes even in the middle of the strife. And so then, peace is not merely the absence of conflict. Peace is that in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the strife, in the midst of the friction, in the midst of the trouble, there is an undisturbed well-being of soul in the midst of the trial. In the midst of the conflict. Even if, for the Christian, even if everything around us, everything around us, even if it is strife and trouble, even if it is conflict and disagreement, for the Christian who is at peace with God, there is an undisturbed, untroubled well-being in our souls because we know that all is well through Christ. It undergirds us. It gives us a firm footing in the storm that no matter what is happening around us, no matter what is flying around by way of storm and trouble and conflict all around us, we are there in the center of it and somehow we are singing, it is well, it is well with my soul. How or why? Because the peace that Christ gives, it affects down deep into the essence of our very being, our souls. And it makes sinful man right with a holy God. And so then, let the storms rage. Let the world stir up strife and trouble, all will be well. One Greek lexicon dictionary defined peace this way. It's the tranquil state of a soul that's assured of its salvation through Christ, and so it fears nothing from God. And it is content with its earthly lot, whatever sort that is. What does that blessed hymn say in its very first verse? When peace like a river attendeth my way? Or when what? When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot. Thou hast taught me to say as well. It is at peace. It is well with my soul. Where does this peace originate? Because this sounds very different from what the world's peddling. It sounds very different from what the world is offering. So where does this peace 
originate? How may a person receive it? How do we continue in peace long after all the lights get put back in the boxes and the Christmas Eve candles get extinguished? How do we remain in that peace going forward? Look further in verse 27. What does Jesus say? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Jesus says, you get this kind of undisturbed well-being in the storm because I leave it with you and because it's My peace that I give to you. Notice Jesus says about this peace, it is My peace. It's not the world's peace. It's not even our peace. It's His. It's His possession. It is His and His alone to give. He is in Isaiah 9, what? The Prince of Peace. And so as the Prince of Peace, Jesus comes to earth as perfect God and perfect man and does then the work of making peace, of actually accomplishing peace, of giving peace. Friend, if you're here today, And if you're here without salvation, if you are here and your soul remains troubled, you must hear me say this, that your soul will never be at peace. Your soul will never be at rest until you come and receive His peace. Until you receive it from Jesus. Don't think that you can disregard Jesus and still receive His peace. Any more than we can take the gift but refuse the giver of that gift. You must. This very day, this very hour, you must come to Christ. You must turn from your sins. You must trust in Jesus to be made right with a holy God. Your sin, my sin, our sin has placed us at odds and at enmity, Scripture says, with God and Jesus because He's the Prince of Peace. Because He's the One who comes to give His peace. Jesus is the only way that you can be at peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's also important for us to ask, how did Jesus actually do this? We know it's His peace. We know that that's the result of being in a right relationship with God. But how did Jesus actually do it? You heard this earlier while the Advent candles were being lit. But in Colossians chapter 1, And in verse 20, speaking of the person and the work of Christ, we read this, that through Christ, all things have been reconciled to Himself, and He has made peace by the blood of His cross through Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. As Jesus who does not stay a helpless baby in a manger, 
as He grows up, as He perfectly fulfills God's law, as He never sins, He renders Himself the only perfect sacrifice, atoning sacrifice for sin. As He goes to the cross, and as He receives the wrath of God there, as God's wrath for all sin is being poured out upon Christ, Christ in that moment, taking what belongs to me, taking what belongs to all who would call upon His name, in that moment, He is appeasing the wrath of a righteous, just, and holy God. And in exchange, when we call out upon Him in faith, we then receive no wrath of God, but all of Christ's righteousness. And the warfare between us and God is over. Beloved, that's the story of Christmas. That's the heart of the Gospel. That is why Jesus came, and that is how Jesus makes for peace. He did not make peace just by simply coming as a cute little baby in a manger. He didn't make for peace just by coming to earth and looking at us and saying, hey y'all, y'all just need to be kind and nice to each other. He came and made peace. And without Him doing it, it wouldn't have gotten done. He comes and makes for peace by dying for you and me. That's how... It happens. Well, look in the text again. Verse 27. How does He leave it with us? How does He give this peace? I think a couple ways. Number one, by faith in Him. That's how you receive this peace. Peace cannot be bought. It cannot be earned. It must be given. It's a gift. And there is a giver. And the giver is the one who owns the peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace comes only to those upon whom God has lifted up His face and given the glorious gift of faith. Do you recall that beautiful blessing upon God's people from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 and 26? You will when I start. The Lord bless you. And the Lord keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and give you what? Give you peace. Be gracious to you. Here we find in this great blessing of Aaron upon the people of God that peace comes to those upon whom God's face has shined. How might God's face shine upon you this morning, dear friend? By you coming in repentance of sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. And then you will have peace. Then the warfare will be ended. Then all will be well. But peace is not just a one-time thing. How else is peace given to us or left with us through the eternal, permanent dwelling of God's Spirit within us. 
In John chapter 14, John chapter 16, Jesus is talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus would leave because He did not intend to leave His children as orphans. He would come to them by the Helper, the Holy Spirit. He would come by His eternal presence. The promise of the Spirit in John 14. The promise of the Spirit in Romans 14. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace in the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we know that if the Spirit of God dwell in us, the fruit of that Spirit will be peace. So wrapping up this section, you only get peace by coming to Christ because it's His peace. It's the only way to have peace with God. And peace in Christ will leave you not just feeling peaceful. And look, there's nothing wrong with a peaceful feeling. But you got to know that that's not going to last. You got to know that a circumstance is going to come along and it's going to change that peaceful, easy feeling. Peace that will leave your soul in a state of untroubled rest only comes in Christ. Receive Him today. Christian, for you, take a breath. Finally. Rest for my weary soul. Don't lose sight of what happened when you came to faith in Christ, dear saint. And don't lose sight of what continues to happen in your soul as His Spirit living within you in the midst of every storm, trial, and suffering you face brings peace. Ongoing. Never-ending. Eternal. And that that's all you will ever know. Do you have this better peace? This peace is better because Jesus gives it. He gives it to His people through the blood of His cross and through the permanent indwelling of His Spirit. Look secondly in verse 27. Why or, or, or how is Jesus' peace? How is it better? It's because His peace is lasting. We sort of hinted at that already, but it's better, and again, we mean better than the world, because Jesus' peace is lasting. Look in the middle of verse 27. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Here, Jesus is making a really clear distinction between the, 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 the peace of the world and the peace of that He gives. The way that the world's peace comes to us versus the way that Christ's peace comes to us. And Jesus is saying here in the middle of verse 27, hey, I don't give peace like the world gives peace. I do it differently. In fact, I do it better. The world is temporary. Everything in the world is temporary. Therefore, that has to mean that the peace which the world offers, that's also what? It's also temporary. Like the world itself, it is fading away and it will not last. The world is offering peace through 
financial security. What do the commercials tell us? You want to have peace of mind? Then invest this way, do this with your money, all, all that stuff. Financial security. That's not going to last. Like we saw a few weeks ago, even if it lasts and you live to be 100 years old and you're the most financially secure person on the planet, you're not taking that to heaven. So it, it doesn't last. The world is going to offer peace through relationships. However you want those relationships. The world offers peace through being the very best version of yourself. Just find the best version of you and then you'll be at peace. The world offers peace through pursuing whatever makes you happy. Just live your best life. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It certainly doesn't matter what God thinks. You do you and you'll have peace. The world offers peace by casting off the restrictions they say of Scripture, of a holy God, of sin and wrath and punishment and justice. The Christian life just says, cast those things off. Eschew the ancient religion and you'll be at peace finally. On the other hand, Jesus in verse 27 is saying what? I don't offer peace in the way that the world's peace comes. And what we know then about Jesus' peace is that His peace is genuine when the world's is false. Jesus' peace is unending. The world's peace is fleeting. Jesus' peace, it actually accomplishes peace. The world's peace accomplishes what? Nothing. Nothing. Jesus' peace addresses our greatest problem. The world's peace only addresses our temporary desires. Jesus' peace is deeply theological, while the world's peace is primarily emotional. Jesus' peace is the, it comes by the, the work of the cross. Versus the world's peace that's just kind of rooted in a good feeling that eventually fades. Jesus' peace, beloved, it's better. Why? Because it's lasting. He doesn't give it like the world gives it. Pay, pay attention to what the world's offering in the month of December. And then six months later, just look up again and see what the world's offering six months from now. It's going to be different. And then six months after that, it's going to be different. And it's always going to be shifting and it's always going to be changing to scratch whatever new itch arises in culture or in our own selfish, sinful hearts. But Jesus' peace, it's the same. It, it, it meets our greatest need. It doesn't change. It's not going anywhere. So therefore, it's better. Come to Christ. Church, rest in His peace. And then thirdly, third way in which we see that Jesus' peace is better is that Jesus' peace is better because it comforts our troubled, fearful hearts. How does verse 27 end? Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. I love this about chapter 14. Let your eyes flow back up to verse 1 of chapter 14. How does the chapter begin? Do not 
let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. How does the chapter essentially end? Same way. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Again, think about the moment. Think about this moment in John 14. I'm about to die. One of you is going to betray me. Uh, I'm going to leave you. I'll come back at some point. You know where I'm going. Thomas pipes up, I don't, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way to get there. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. It's all very perplexing to them. It's all very troubling. There's a lot of fear in that room, in that moment. And so then, Jesus comes once again. Do not be troubled. The word troubled there in verse 27, don't let your heart be stirred up. Don't let it be disturbed. Don't let it be disquieted or perplexed. He also says at the end of verse 27, nor let your hearts be fearful. Don't let them be timid. Don't let them be cowardly. Don't let them shrink back in the moment. Paul would later tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Same word. Spirit of fear. But of power and love and of a sound mind. Jesus calls them to remember who He is, what He is about to do on His cross, and there find peace. And what that peace does is it comes to to, to comfort our troubled and fearful hearts. How does it do that? Turn over to Philippians 4. Philippians 4, we referenced uh, this text a few weeks ago in Matthew 6 when we were studying about not worrying. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Here is how the peace of Jesus which He leaves and gives us, which is eternal, it's lasting, here's how it comforts our hearts. Here's how it does its work in our souls. Chapter 4, Philippians verse 6, be anxious for nothing. So that thing that you're being anxious about this morning, stop. Don't be anxious for that either. There's no exceptions here. Jesus didn't say you can be anxious for all these things, um, or not, don't be anxious for all these things, but that one thing, that, that's okay. No, be anxious for absolutely nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we said this a couple weeks ago, but when we worry, pray. And then verse 7. And here's what begins to happen when we pray in the midst of our anxiety. The peace of God. It's God's peace. It comes from God. It originates with God. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when trouble comes, 
when difficulty and strife comes, when suffering comes, when sorrows like sea billows roll, we're not worrying, we're praying, and by the Spirit who dwells in us, who is interceding for us with groanings too deep for words, what the Spirit in those moments of prayer is doing is stirring up in our hearts, in our souls, the peace of God. And that peace of God begins to work to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. To guard us so that we don't worry and despair and so that we're not anxious anymore. It begins to work and guard us so that we only believe what is true and we reject what is false. It works in us and guards and keeps us so that we remember and we don't forget the work of the Prince of Peace at the cross on our behalf so often we are left without peace in the middle of the storm because we just don't pray because we're not trusting in that moment because we're relying too much on self and not enough in the prince of peace don't let your heart be troubled putting it together with philippians 4 pray Don't let your hearts be fearful and racked with anxiety. Couple it with Philippians 4. Pray. And in that moment, in that moment, peace. Look, you're not going to be able hardly to explain it. Paul says what in verse 4? It's beyond comprehension. There's There's not even hardly a word for it. But I think there's a lot of saints in the room that know what I'm talking about. That in the midst of the storm, somehow, you smile through your tears. Somehow, you hum that hymn that brings comfort to your soul. Somehow, you lay your head down at night and you just know. It it, it may be craziness on the other side of that door. It might be despair and darkness out there. But the last thought that courses through your mind before you go to sleep is, God's good. And all is well. That's how it works. Even if you can't exactly explain that. And that's why Jesus' peace is better. You know what the world's peace is only going to do in us? It's only going to stir up more worry and anxiety. That's all it can do. Because it's telling you what? Get this, get this, have this, have this. Don't be late. Do it now. All that stuff. And then when you don't get it, you don't get it now. When when it's late, all that kind of stuff, you what? Worry. You're anxious. That's all it can do. It can't give you peace. It's a fool's peace. It's not real. It can't accomplish anything. Jesus' peace is better, beloved, because it's Christ who gives it. Who better than the Prince of Peace to know your trouble, to step into it, and to give you peace. 
It's better because it's not going anywhere. It's lasting. For all eternity, Christian, all you will know is peace. That's all you'll ever know. You'll never know the anger or wrath of God. All you'll ever know is peace. And it's better because in the hardest, most troubling, fearful moments of our lives, God grants something that is beyond all comprehension that works to guard and keep and protect us. And that is His peace. In just a moment, we come to take into our hands once again that which reminds us and points us to Christ. The Prince of Peace who came to have His body beaten, bloodied, To have His body die. To shed blood for the remission of our sin. Maybe in this month as we observe the Lord's Supper together, maybe what your heart dwells upon most is the peace that has been made through the blood of His cross. How that's better. And how if you don't know Christ today, you must come to Him. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we prepare, Father, to come and to once again take into our hands, God, the cup and the bread, God, as we come once again to observe this beautiful ordinance together, God, the first thing that I think we want to do is we want to rightly honor You by remembering What made the cross of Christ necessary? Our sin. My sin. God, we want to remember in this moment that You came, that You sent Your Son to free us from sin so that we should live in it no longer. God, if in this moment we have been flippant with our sin, if we have been casual with it, if we've not truly confessed and agreed with what Scripture says regarding our sin, if we are not in the fight to repent of it, then God, I pray that Your Spirit would move and work. God, so that we might come to this moment with pure hearts, clean hands. Father, in this moment, help us to not merely do this as ritual. It's the second Sunday of the month. But God, that we would come in this moment to take these elements into our hands. And Father, to have the Gospel truth flood our souls. That Christ has come and He has made peace through the blood of His cross. God, that in this moment, Your Spirit would work to draw the sinner to Yourself. God, so that they might be saved in Christ. Lord, as we continue to worship, thank You. God, thank You for these promises that are ours in fullest measure. God, thank You for this eternal peace. 
Father, would You use it now for any troubled soul in the room, God, to guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. And it's in His name that we pray.